Today's scripture comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. All right. What's going on, everybody? I'm going to move a violin very carefully. All right. I tend to make my instruments look real bad after I handle them. Um, so, uh, hi. Uh, my name is Tommy, and I've been on vacation. And uh, I came back and sat down at my desk, and I thought to myself, how do you do this again? How do you write sermons? And I had to figure it out again. Um, but here I am. And so we've been going for the last... I'm not even going to guess, uh, for the last however long. We've been going through 1 Peter and then 2 Peter, and so today we're in chapter 3. This chapter, uh, this verse, these particular verses, there's two verses here that start chapter 3 that are a bit of a bridge. Um, the whole first two chapters, we're letting them know um, there are false teachers among you. They're teaching you things that are going to lead you astray, that are going to make, um, they're laying a lot of burdens on you that, that Jesus came to free us from, and... Uh, so here's how you can recognize them. Here's how to look out for them. And then um, he's going to sort of now, after these two verses, he's going to challenge the actual beliefs that they sent, that they have been preaching. And so um, this is, we're, gonna get, we're getting into the main sort of gist of the whole passage. And so today there's sort of this bridge where um, he has a very specific thing to say about why he is writing them these letters um, about why we gather together. He uses some great words. And uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about all these things. Let me, let me back up my sermon here. Okay, so uh, let's pray and we'll dive into this. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to gather here as your people. Thank you for um, all my brothers and sisters that you've brought here. Um, different mindsets, different backgrounds. Um, we all come together to form your body, uh, each with our own gifts and abilities, and we ask that you would use us to do something good in this world, that you would use us to um, show love and compassion, to exercise grace and mercy, to bring about peace, to bring about your kingdom, um, to bring about the healing of, of those who need healing, um, the, the freedom of those who are enslaved and entrapped by whatever vices um, and salvation for those who um, are not safe. We love you, Father, and uh, speak through me. Help me to remember the things that I've studied. Give us a wonderful morning together. Allow us to be present, not worried about the past, not anxious or scared about the future, knowing that the past uh, has been washed under your love and your sacrifice, and the future is taken care of with resurrection. And so right now we can just be present here with you, um, because this is all there is at this moment. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In your name, amen. Okay, so here we are. We're going to jump into verse 1. Um, it starts like this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm getting a bit of an echo feedback, weird, weirdness. I don't know, maybe just me hearing it. Um, uh, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of, of reminder. So, um, this is kind of an answer to the people who might be asking, what's, what's the point? Why are you writing us these letters? Why are the apostles visiting us? 
Why are these preachers gathering us to hear the same thing over and over? Um, I know uh, a lot of you may not have grown up in, in Christian community, in any kind of faith community. Um, and perhaps you have asked the question or you have friends or family who ask the question, why do Christians do this? Are they really that weak that they need to gather every week and hear someone say the same thing over and over and over? Are you really that weak and that dull that this is what you need? How about something new? How about some new information? For 2,000 years, you guys have been gathering and saying the same thing. How about something different? Isn't there a better way to spend your time? And so, valid question, right? And, and, and so, he writes this letter. He's written two of them now. This is, this is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Um, in this passage, there is some Greek words here that we're going to open up and look at. Um, and this is important to do for several reasons. One of them is um, when translations happen, uh, we replace a Greek word with an English word. Oftentimes, it's a similar word. It sort of carries a similar weight, but there is context to these words that we miss. And so we have to read the original languages. We're not doing it to sound smart. We're doing it um, to be informed of the mindset with which these original writers are writing. Um, because there's words that carried certain weights that, that, that don't, they don't carry now. Um, and oftentimes, we're just, we're just replacing them with these English words that didn't, that's, it's the best we have. Um, so... I'm going to look at a couple of words here. Um, he says, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. The word reminder is this word hypomnesis. Everyone say hypomnesis. Very good. We're awake. We're alive. We're good. Um, there, there's there's sort, of, sort of two root words here. Uh, the word, um, it's pronounced hupo, not, not hippo. Um, hupo meaning under. And another root word here is sort of is gnosis, which means knowledge. Um, the idea here. Um, you can put this together under knowledge. I'm, I'm going to stir up by way of the under knowledge, which is a weird thing to say. Um, but I would describe it like this. Hypomnesis is the act of reaching beneath and grabbing that thing that has been buried. Um, reaching beneath all that you have piled on top of something and pulling it all away and grabbing that thing that you once, maybe you put something on a shelf. Here's the idea. You put something on a shelf, and then you have other things, and you only have one shelf, and so you put all of them on top of the shelf. And eventually, the thing, the important thing that you put on the shelf is covered by all of these other things, and so you have to pull these things away and pull out the first thing again and put it back on the top so you can see it. You can look at it, and you can remember. So he says, I'm going to stir up your hearts by way of um, reminder. In the ancient world, um, this would describe lots of things. Um, there were tons of civilizations that were just laying in rubble all around them being covered by the earth. As time moves on, um, nature just takes back what we have claimed if it is not lived in. Um, even to this day, um, in much of Europe, in, in China, in, in lots of places, there are um, parking lots that people dig up and they're, they're maybe laying a foundation for a building that they're going to build and they stumble upon the ruins of an ancient city that we have forgotten was there. And we are reminded something else is here. At one point, it was the most important thing that ever happened here and we have forgotten. And so at that moment, all construction stops. Archaeologists come in and annoy all the construction workers and the investors and they quarantine everything and they're like, nope, stop. There's a pot. I have to look at it. There is a bone. 
And uh, oftentimes they find incredible things that they have read about in history books and, and in ancient writings of ancient historians like Josephus or Tacitus, and they find them here, and they, they find them, and they're just, this finally makes sense. There are things that at one point are the most important thing. Over time, as cities are built, they are forgotten and they are covered. Hippomnesis is the act, writing these letters is the act of him reaching beneath the things that have been buried, the, the, the things that have covered it up, pulling it out, putting it back on the top again. Um, oftentimes what we need, uh, we, we think, um, we, you know, oftentimes we, we read books because I need to learn something new. Uh, what I have hasn't been working and I need to find something new. I need new information. But oftentimes what we need is not actually new information. Oftentimes what we need is to be reminded. Oftentimes, the thing that is the most important thing that can easily fix and give us perspective about what we're going through, we have let it be buried by all of the new things that come into our lives and we forget. So oftentimes, we don't need something new. We need to be reminded. So um, interestingly enough, this word still has use um, today, uh, the word hypomnesis. Today in the world of psychology, it's actually um, oftentimes used to describe a weakened memory of the past. Um, this is sort of, uh, there's plenty of days in my life, I, I can think of like a year in my life where I don't remember most of the year, my mind would be sort of hypomnesis, sort of, an, I, I don't remember most of the year, but there's specific occasions in that year that I can clearly recall. Um, there's a word for that too, um, in psychology, that, that word is um, anamnesis, it means a recalling mind, a remembrance, there are moments that I can look back, I'm 35 now, I, it's, it's weird to be at a place where I can look back and say, I remember 20 years ago, um, and when you're, when you're young, when you're in your 20s, you don't picture yourself ever thinking that. Um, I clearly remember plenty of things from two decades ago, um, and, I, and, and, and there's some days which the day before it and after it, I just have, there's no way I, would, I will ever in my life remember anything that happened those days, but then there's days like, I clearly remember it from sunrise to, to, to sunset of like September 11, 2001. I clearly remember everything about that day at college. I, I clearly remember it. I clearly remember the day I got engaged. I clearly remember my wedding day. I clearly remember lots of things that these days are anamnesis. The other days are hupomnesis. Um, so uh, interestingly enough, again, even farther, this word anamnesis is a biblical word. It's an ancient Greek word. It is used in scriptures. Jesus himself um, Luke has Jesus saying it. He says this uh, in Luke twenty two nineteen, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance, in anamnesis of me. If you look up that word remembrance, that's the word there. Anamnesis. And so this is the first time that communion is instituted um, with Jesus' followers. He says, I'm giving you something to do, an act that will clearly help you remember. You're going to do this every time you gather, and when you do this, you will remember one specific thing, that my body was broken for you, that my blood was poured out for you in an act of incredible forgiveness and love and reconciliation. And then he says, follow me and do the same. And so when we gather, this is what we're doing. When we gather... um, we have to remember, drawing time, that this is us, and this tends to be our week, 
There is one thing that you remember that, that, that you have been given. It's the gospel. It puts everything in perspective. There was a day where you learned it, and that was the most important thing that you've ever heard, that you are fully and utterly loved and accepted by God who poured out his very life for you to bridge the gap that you built between you and him and that there is nothing you could do to make him love you more or less at this moment and he is drawing you in and all of the failures I mean we go throughout our day and these things are piled on top of that information in our mind um, and we move throughout our week and we hear you know judgments about self-worth messages about who we should be and what your life should look like and the television and the music and everything the newspaper everything is telling you exactly what your life should look like what your body should look like what your diet should look like and they're telling you all of the ways that you don't measure up and it's not at all in line with anything that is actual reality all of the, there's, there's judgments about your life, there is misunderstandings, there's arguments, there's people pointing out flaws and mistakes, there's temptations, there's accusations, there are reputations being built up, there are reputations being destroyed, and all of this is being piled on top throughout your day, it's being piled on top of God loves you, poured himself out for you and is drawing you in, you are accepted, you are loved. But all of these things are being piled on top of it. And so Peter says, you know why I wrote to you? Because this is what's happening throughout your day. I wrote to you so I can reach back inside. And I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to put it back on the top. And you're going to look at it. And it's going to sink. It's going to sink. We're going to pull it out. We're going to put it back on the top again. It's going to sink some more. We're going to pull it out. We're going to put it back on the top. This is what we need. Yes, we need to gather regularly to hear the same thing over and over and over. Why? Because you forget. Even worse, you believe what you're being told. You believe your own press about how great you are. And how incredible, what a gift you are to this world. And we forget that Jesus is worthy of praise. And, and, and our pride um, threatens to actually destroy us. And we don't even realize it. Especially in the selfie generation. Right? Seriously, I was at Taco Bus the other day. Um, and like, I, I look around for a moment and I notice six people taking pictures of themselves or the place. You give everyone a camera, what do they do? Turn it to themselves and talk about their every moment of everyday experiences. And, all, and you're being told that this is what matters and this is the appropriate way to live. And God is telling you none of that actually means anything. What, what means something is what, what I have done for you, how I look at you, who you are to me. None of, of, of what you're taking part in will grant you any kind of satisfaction or pleasure in your life. Um, and so if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, I taught, did at our Christmas service, I talked about time and the ancient ideas of time, and I put a picture of, of this, this good-looking dude. Um, and uh, we, I guess we now call him kind of like Father Time. Um, in the ancient world, this was sort of the... Um, Oh, this word drives me nuts. I forget it every time. I forgot it earlier. Personification. <laughs> every time. Personification. Personification, Tommy. Got it, Tommy. Um, so he's the personification sort of of, of time. He carries, uh, obviously, an hourglass and a sickle. And he's often um, uh, pictured as consuming um, a child or youth. Um, and so the idea, again, of time is that it takes everything you have away from you and then it takes your life. 
But I never talked about the definition of the word chronos, which is the word they used for measurable time. Um, the, way they would, the way they would define chronos in the ancient Greek world was that which wipes out all things out. That which wipes all things out. And this is an accurate description. They could look all around them at the cities which time has buried. They look back and talk about their ancestors which time has buried and the things that they've there's so many things there they've forgotten time has buried them they look at their own lives they look at their youth time has buried it and, and they know one day they themselves will be literally buried time which wipes all things out the fact is you learn something and now no matter how important this thing is that you learned from the moment that you learned it you've begin, you, you begin to forget it and so there's probably something that this week you saw on Facebook or whatever and you commented in giant capital letters this and you pointed up um and that thing is like, yes, it's so important. Little by little, you will forget it. And then five years from now, someone will remind you of it and you'll say, oh, yeah, I, bet. I need to read that again. I need to refresh my mind on that. Because time wipes these things out. Information is sort of stored and then slowly disintegrates. Um, you can look at somebody's bookshelf and you can see. You can look at the bookshelf and you can kind of, you can kind of look at the, the level of, of dust on the books and you could probably look at it and guess, if I were to ask questions about this particular book, there's no dust on it, they would probably be, know more about it and be able to answer more questions about it. But this book over here, it looks like it's been read and the pages are crinkled and there's notes, there's some tabs sticking out of it, but it's covered in dust. So if I were to ask questions about this book, they probably are not going to remember all the details of the book. Time wipes things out. When we gather, this is the act of reaching in to the dust and the dirt that is swallowing everything up, pulling out the important thing again, putting it back on the top, and instantly it starts to sink. But this is important. You need to be reminded of these things. Um, so let's look again, because there's some other words here. Let's read it again. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Um, okay, so the, my favorite word in all of... of the New Testament, Greek, uh, is, is right here. It is the word sincere. Um, it's a great word. Uh, the word is elikrines. Everyone say elikrines. Very good class. Um, the word eli, it, it, it refers to the shining of the sun. The word krines um, refers to picking something up and inspecting it. Very closely kind of looking at it and you're looking for flaws, you're looking for perfection, you're looking for... Um, sort of weight and value. So the idea here is that there is something that needs to be looked at, and in order to look at it, you know, they didn't have electricity, flashlights, anything like this. So you would take it out into the sun, and you would hold it up in the light of the sun, and then you could get the best possible view of it, and you would inspect it, and you would find the imperfections that are in it. It's a great word. Um, it's uh, so this is. The closest thing we have to it today, people inspecting jewels under the light. You can look for what, cut, color, clarity, all this stuff. Um, and so the first time I, I really studied this word was when we were going through the book of Philippians. Um, Paul used it. Um, Paul used it first, and it's in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, and it says this. It says, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, the context of this verse is that he's telling them, um, there's a lot of things that aren't great to think about. There's a lot of things that are great to think about. And here's a list of things that are great to think about, whatsoever is good and righteous and holy and pure. And, and then he says, and he ends it with, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So he's talking about 
this day that he believed would come when everything would be exposed. The day of the Christ, the day of the Lord is what they would call it. Um, And it was the day when Jesus, who Paul describes as the light of the world, would be shining there and exposing everything in your life, however this looks. And so there will come a day when everything is known and God is known as you are known. You kind of just, it's all revealed. And everything is held up to the light. And so Paul kind of describes, we want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Because there will be a day when all those things that you haven't fixed and cleansed, you'll run out of time and they will just be brought out. And so Paul kind of describes the day of God, the judgment, as the day the lights are turned on, right? Um, And he says this in lots of different ways. He talks about a veil being lifted. He talks about um, a foggy mirror which is cleaned up and then you can see. Um, And so a day when everything will kind of be known. And so Peter is, in a way, saying, he says, I'm going to stir up this sincere mind. So sometimes it's translated sincere, elikrinas. Sometimes it's sincere. Sometimes it's pure, depending on the context of the writing. And so Peter says, I'm going to stir up this pure mind of you, this elikrinas mind. This, I'm going to stir up a mind in you that you have taken the light into the depths of that cave in your mind, and you've looked around, and you've changed it. And, and you see the imperfections, and, and, and this is what we're going to stir up. It's funny because when you read it in English, you just kind of think a sincere mind, like, like a really serious mind, like a, a mind that is, I mean what I say. That's not what this means. There's like weight to this phrase. A sincere mind is a mind that has, you're honest with yourself. The light has shown and you see. Now, um, I've been asked before, and I guess I never really talked about it. This is actually why we're, we're called watermark. Um, a watermark, if, if I may, uh, this is a dollar bill, and we know, we know dollars have uh, um, watermarks in them. And the point of a watermark is because you hold it up in the light, and you can tell whether or not it's real. By the way, who here is insulted when this happens to you? You hand somebody money, they take it and look at it, look at it and pull out a little pen, shake it, take the cap off. Okay. All right, I, it's just, I'm always like, wait till I turn around or something. Or like, point, hey, look at that over there. That's what I would do. <laughs> I just, when I worked at Starbucks, I was supposed to do that with big bills, and I always just kind of felt like a jerk, testing them to see if they were real. Because the person looks at me like, really? I'm like, I, I'm not accusing you. Um, a water, the, the idea of calling ourselves a watermark is that we want the light to shine on us. We, we, want, we don't want to be a group of people that's just hiding things in our lives. Um, I, a church, again, I say this all the time, um, maybe it was Chesterton that said it, a church is not um, a, a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. I, we're not here to put the good parts of our life on display. This is not Instagram, okay? We're not putting our good parts of life on our display and hiding the bad parts. Um, this is supposed to be a place that is a haven and a safe space where we allow the light to shine and we say, hey... Honestly, you asked how I'm doing. There's stuff going on that I, I can't control. And I've been dealing with, when I was 13, I told God I, wanted, I want to end this and I'm like, I'm, I'm like 28 now and I'm, I'm still taking part in it and I can't stop. So here's my crap. What do you got? You say, yo, I've been struggling with the same thing forever. And, and you meet other people who are in the same boat and you say, well, 
Well, this guy over here says that he heard us and he says that he's free of that. He, that was him and that's not him now. Well, let's gather with him. Oh, and there's a person over here who's farther, way deeper into it than you are. Well, come along. Why don't we walk this together? This is the idea. Um, hold it up to the light. See what's, what's real. See what needs to go. Um, judge whether or not your faith is real, whether or not it's fake, whether or not you, you actually do care about moving forward and confessing it all. Now, um, about six years ago, me and my wife, um, we bought a house. So this is great. Throwback. Um, there's me staring. Look at the hole in that roof. So we bought this house, and it, it basically, think the Fight Club house. Um, we bought it over on Hannah, and it's, it was a mess. And um, there was, oh, so here's another one. Any Miami Hurricane fans? We got, we got orange and green. It's great. So thank you. Um, uh, and it was a wreck. So I would, I would walk into a room, and I'd flip the lights on, and stuff would, like, move. Just, you look up, I thought I saw, you're, you're pretty sure you saw something, but you just can't. And so I found if you sneak into a room and you're like, hit the lights now, boom, roaches, rats, spiders, just, but three seconds later, the room's fine. You're, they're gone, right? Like it's gone. So there's nothing to fear. Sleep with the lights on. Um, but it was real bad for a good four or five months. I waged this war against there's just pestilence in my house. Um, and nobody had lived in this house for about three years. There was obvious evidence that they were growing drugs upstairs. At one point, there was 24 people living in this house. Um, it was mostly children. It was a wreck. It was destroyed. Everything was broken. Um, and so we're like, let's take it. Let's do it. So we did it. Um, we're just, we got kids. They're going to break everything anyways. Um, so we, we moved in. We, we fixed it up. But here's the thing. This is, this is life. Um, when you stop interacting with a house, human beings move out of it instantly, the world takes it back. The earth sort of. Um, there's, I guess I should have grabbed a, a quote or something. There's this, in, uh, this description in uh, Grapes of Wrath of like nature climbing back into a house and cats coming, and, and pestilence sort of moving in. And eventually they, they eat the termites and the, the, um, the carpenter ants and the, the rats and the roaches and the spiders. They eat everything to bits. And eventually the houses can never come back from what it was. This is how life works. Things that are untouched. Um, if light is never shined in that space, if there's nothing is moved, if our faith is never interacted with, if we don't come and gather and say it again and again and interact with it in different ways, taking communion, um, if we don't sit and listen to teachers and preachers and, and, and read books together by theologians and authors and sing songs by songwriters who are all saying, reminding us of this, um, then it's not interacted with and it's not lived in. The lights are off. It's never inspected. And, and your soul is eaten to death by these things. And so what is necessary is for movement in the house. When a house is lived in, these things don't happen. And when the lights are on, this doesn't happen. And it's, uh, it's interesting because it's, it's just like sort of the, the creatures in the house. When the lights are turned on, you have two choices. You can run and scurry like a rat. You can just hide. No, I'm out. I'm gone somewhere else. Or you can stand and say, there it is. You found it. Please get rid of it. Please clean it. 
I want this suitable for living. I want to live in these places in my life. Because the spiritual house that I built so long ago has just been taken over and destroyed and the foundations have been eaten away and there's nothing there. I need to practice it. I need, with my hands, I need to exercise grace and mercy and compassion and I need to, with my ears, listen. With my eyes, I need to read. With my mouth, I need to sing and say and collectively our hearts beat as one when the music is playing and we're taking communion, we're eating, taking it inside of us. In all of these ways, we are pulling out the thing that has been buried and we're putting it back on the top and saying, there it is. There it is. Here's me, here's this. I want this to do its work and clean this. And so you, you come to the second verse here. Let's start at verse two in the middle. So he's gonna tell them, uh, um, well, I'll move back a little bit. In both of these letters, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, in verse two, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, side note real quick here. Um, the word prediction I'm not sure that that's a, a great replacement, like translation of this word. Most of the other theologians I read and, and most of the um, other versions that I read actually just have the message of God or the teachings or the words. This, this translator was, had like forethought, right? Um, talking about pr- predictions, but it's basically the message of the prophets, the, the message that God gave the prophets to teach the people. So to him, he says, what you need is to hear the word of God taught to you. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews has this incredible way of saying it. And listen to this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this is great. There's I, if I had another hour here, I'd, I would just divide all the words over here and, and look at these because there's so much here. Um, but um, I'm going to sort of cliff note the first part, um, the word of God, the message of God. So, I mean, it, it's not talking about the Bible itself. The message of God is contained in the scriptures, the word of God. It's, it's, um, it's God's message of love and, and peace and reconciliation. The Bible itself is, is a library of 66 books of the awakening of God, revealing himself to the people, and they, they write these things down. It's, it's letters and, and poetry and thoughts and lamentations, which is, which is this like angry sort of complaint to God, but it's, it's these people writing about these brushes with God that they've had. It's important to understand the journey of God revealing himself to us. Um, and so the word of God, this, this message, the gospel, if you will, it it is able to take apart all these things and help you look at them from different angles, these different things in your life. There's words here that describe, I mean, thoughts and intentions, um, the Greek words there really describe um, your emotions and your intellect, and so sometimes you need to follow your emotions because they're lining up with love and grace, but sometimes you need to follow your intellect because it makes sense, and oftentimes your emotions can be wrong, and so the question is, so how do we follow? And this is what the word of God does. It pulls it apart and looks at all these things. And so my focus here wants to be on, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So there's one person to whom we must give an account. And everything is exposed by that person. And so there's two words here. The word naked is the word gumnos, which means disrobing before a king to show that you are hiding nothing. In the ancient world, this was how you would approach a king. You would literally, if you wanted to go see the king... You had to actually stand in the front of the courtroom and you would disrobe and, and get naked and then walk up and, and they would inspect you to make sure you're not hiding any, and you're not a threat to the king. You're not hiding any swords, poison, nothing. 
Um, so there's this word. You would think that naked and exposed mean the same thing, but they don't. There's different words here in the Greek. Um, the other word is great. So I want you to say this after me. It's the word for exposed. Tetrakalismanos. All right. Now, we have no idea what this word means. We don't know. Um, but, like, there's no, like, definition of it. But there are ways that it has been used, um, which we have. So, and from these ways that it has been used, we can kind of grasp an idea of what it means. So let's put this up here. Okay, here we go. Um, the first way it was used was a wrestling move. Now, I guess you can just use your imagination, like, off the ropes, you know, whatever. Um, a wrestling move. Um, and, and so you need to take this and sort of combine the idea that tetrakalismanos means a wrestling move. So that's the first, the first way it's used. The second way it's used is to describe, at one point it's, it's used to describe flaying an animal, which goes with what has been said. Um, two-edged sword cutting joints and marrow. You get the idea of a butcher hanging up uh, a pig and, and cutting it to pieces and, and using all the pieces for meat. Um, so that's another way that it's used. The, another way that it's used... Um, is actually at one point it describes a prisoner's restraints. It particularly, um, it specifically describes a prisoner who is bound by the hands and the feet and tied up, and he's being led to an execution, and his head is bound in a way that his face is up, and everyone can see who he is, so he can't hide his face, basically. So from these three things, you can kind of gather the idea, the meaning of the word is holding something down, taking it all apart and looking at all of it, and nothing can be hidden. That's how it describes the day of the Lord. Now, why is this important? Paul describes this idea of tetrakalismanos. Um, Paul, Paul describes um, the work of the scriptures like this. I mean, sorry, Peter describes the work of the scriptures like this. He says, I, I write these letters because it is only the word of God that can do this. The word of God is a sword. And when you hear it, when you hear it spoken it, um, from all these different angles, it really helps you kind of take things apart and look at things from different angles, sometimes from anger, sometimes from joy, sometimes from fear. And there's all these different ways that the scriptures help us understand who God is and what he wants of us and how we are to respond. Um, The scriptures, it cuts and it, and it separates. And, and the thing is, we spend our days piling things on top of the gospel. Again, we're being told our self-worth is found in our career or, or our looks, our identity, how we define ourselves. Um, and then the word of God comes along and like a two-edged sword, cuts all this crap away and exposes you and shines the light on you so you can clearly see who you are and change and become whole again and healthy. Find healing, find reconciliation and your relationships, you start to see the part that you play in the destruction of these things and you start to patch them up and you start to see the part that you play in the destruction of, of, of various things in this world, the world that God loves and created, and how you're using selfishly, like we sang about, and, and, and it helps you change, and we are all blessed by it. When you study the word, I am blessed by it. We are blessed by it. Because it is, it is like someone standing in front of a house that nature is trying to reclaim with a sword hacking away the leaves as they are, and then the weeds and the vines as they are trying to grow back in and take it back. 
Um, and so I think what we need is, and, and, and what Peter is basically saying here in this passage to us is, is that when we gather together, we need to be looking for the ways in which the gospel is being buried in our lives. Whether it's here and the conversations you're having here or at house churches or at break rooms with those of you that work together or on dates with those of you that are interested in each other and you're spending time together, you need to listen for the ways that, we are, that people are allowing themselves to be buried by the gospel. Uh, I'm not buried by them, buried. The gospel is being buried by other things. And it comes in the form of phrases like, um, I'm too fill in the blank. My past is too terrible. I'm too ugly. I'm too lazy. I don't have the ability. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not the right race, nationality. I'm not born from the right place. I am just not. And you hear it and you say, hold on. Grace and peace. Grace. None of this is what you will give an account for. According to the writer of Hebrews, according to Paul, according to Peter, none of this that you were talking about will you have to give an account for. That's not what you're giving an account for. You stand and you, you point to the work of Jesus. And you say, this is the person that I follow. I'm not perfect, never will be. Um, but I believe that this is the best way. This is all I have. This is, this is the best and last hope of this world is the life, the message, the death, burial, resurrection, and the hope that Jesus has given us. And so, I don't know what you're dealing with in this room. Um, we're going to go into a time of communion. We, go, we do communion every single week at Watermark um, because it is one more way that we take part in the anamnesis, the reminding, the, it's, it's one more action. It's, and, and communion, um, it's, it's very simple. It's nothing mystical. It doesn't turn into anything. It doesn't make you feel anything. It's, it's bread and it's, it's wine. It's, 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 it's the root of, of communion is the word common. They're common things. Bread and wine. And we take the bread and we, when we rip it, we are reminded of the body of Christ, which was ripped and broken for you. We dip it in the wine and we see it on there and we remember that the blood of Jesus was poured out for you, for the healing of you, your heart, the world. And then we eat it and we say, I want to take part in that. And we, they ask that God would take it down and touch the parts of our lives that need to be touched. And then we ask God to help us follow him and pour ourselves out for the healing of the nations and to bring the gospel message to the people around us. Um, this is what we need to do regularly. This is what Christians have always done when they get together. And so our communion servers, you guys can gather, take the elements and spread around the room. We're going to take some time and uh, we're going to pray and, and maybe you should talk to God and ask him to reveal the things and shine the light on some things that you need to confess, you need to free your life from. If you need prayer, right through these doors on the left, there's a prayer room. There will be either an elder or a house church leader there to pray with you um, or you can pray by yourself again. Um, but let's take some time and our communion servers will uh, get in their place, take some time, pray to God, talk to him and uh, let's take communion. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything you're doing for us, for the ways that you have uh, revealed yourself to us over the years, for making us who you want us to be. You're a good, holy, wonderful God. Bless our hearts and our minds and change us. Make us whole again. 
Heal the things that are broken. Help us to confess wholly and to believe in your forgiveness. Thank you. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.